2: Hey everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Mason Avenue's Minor League Podcast. I'm Steve Seifer, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Levin, and Thomas Henderson. How are you guys doing this week? Good, good. I'm doing Good. Won well. well, my
1: fantasy football league, you know, feeling nice. good about that. It's always good.
2: That's fine. Alright, so... Uh, wasn't last week, two weeks ago, I guess, a couple of weeks ago. It was the shortest day of the year, and we did Promote Extend Trade with the shortest players in professional sports. And today just so happens to be the 11th anniversary of the Burj Khalifa opening, and that is the tallest building in the world. So this week, we're going to do Promote Extend Trade with the tallest athletes in professional sports. Unfortunately... Yeah, unfortunately, no one has a nickname as good as Soupy Shapiro. So, yeah, they probably all deserve to be traded because of that, but only one guy can go. So, who are we going to promote extend trade of these following guys? First, we have Loke Van Mill, who is a Dutch right-handed pitcher. He mainly played in the twin system and for the Dutch national team, and he is seven feet, one inches tall.
1: I spell, I want everyone to know that I spelled that correctly on my first guess, and I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> it's L-O-E-K well, Van Mill.
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not too difficult, L-O-A-K. L O A K. I That would be the only. I, that's not how I
1: would have thought to spell a name.
2: Well, I'm just saying, how else would you spell it? It's L-O-E-K or L-O-A-K? Ha-
1: have you seen some of those Scandinavian names? <laughs> they don't make any sense phonetically.
2: Well, he's Dutch, so.
1: Yeah, close enough. Anyway.
2: Yeah, that's true. Anyway. Next, we have Sung Ming Ming, who is a Chinese basketball player who played in a bunch of minor league basketball teams here in the U.S. and then in the Chinese Basketball Association. And he is seven foot nine. And finally, we have Jorge Gonzalez, who is an Argentinian wrestler, better known as Giant Gonzalez. Who wrestled for the WWF and is seven foot seven inches.
1: Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Can you what imagine it? the plane you get on your fastball if you're seven foot seven?
2: Oh, unfortunately, Van Mill wasn't particularly good.
1: Yeah, I'm looking not not great stats. No. Pretty bad.
2: I mean There have been really tall players who have been good. I guess the biggest example is John Roush, who had a pretty good career. But literally the biggest example, am I right? Yes, very good. <laughs> Nailed is it. it. Is he taller than Chris Young? Uh, I think so. I think Chris Young is only like six foot six or six foot nine. Really? Yeah, yeah, I thought Chris Young I, I thought Young was, he was like six ten. I'm pulling it, to googling mm. it right now. now he definitely isn't. He definitely isn't over seven. No, yeah. Well, I'll let
1: you know the outfielder is 6'2", but that's not the one we're talking about. <laughs> He's <a laughs> the <midget>. other one.
2: <laughs> what a little guy.
1: Chris Young was 6'10", uh, John Roush was 6'11". Okay, so Roush was bigger. Wow. Neither of them with the really ran impressive strikeout ratios, honestly.
2: Well, that's like in John Roush. Yeah. yeah pitchers, being tall is not always a good thing because of all the command issues that it can cause.
1: You would think if you could get over that, though, you'd have, like, a fastball that would just do some, would really mess with hitters, but I guess not.
0: I would also think, for me, at least, like, if you're a reliever, you're facing someone who's, like, your height, and then in comes a dude who you have to totally change your eye plane on Yeah, absolutely. Or looking at, wh- like, where you're picking up the ball and stuff. Mm-hmm. That would I know that would mess with me, because I never, like, I wasn't super, I'm not super tall, but I never really liked facing people much, much taller than me when I played because I hated the angle that it would come down on. You also have to
1: think about, like, uh, the thing DeGrom does so well. Like, he's not super tall. He's, what, 6'3 or something? But he gets so much extension towards home plate, you think these guys are, like, almost 7 feet tall. Yeah. Practically be throwing the ball from 2 inches in front of home plate at that point, (laughs) but I guess not.
0: DeGrom's also lanky as hell, which helps. Yeah, yeah, he has very long limbs. So he could really extend. And also, that's why he's good, you know? Yeah.
1: I mean his fastball now is 100 miles an hour anyway, but <laughs> and, like the perceived velocity before it was probably above 100 just because he's so close to home plate. Anyway, I'm gonna trade the wrestler because I don't give a shit about wrestling, and then I'll uh <laughs> extend extend Lock Van Mill and promote the uh, Sun, Sun Ming Ming.
2: Yeah, that sounds good to me. <laughs> I traded Van Mill just because he wasn't good. Yeah. And and like I was saying, like the height, sometimes it's just a liability in baseball. Yeah. Whereas in wrestling, being a giant dude would be, you know, good. But Giant Gonzalez is really bad. So that's, you know, ironic.
1: So let me ask you this. What makes a bad wrestler, Steve? Can you explain that to us plebeians?
2: I don't know. It's a very uh, opinion thing. It's also something that...
0: I don't know, at least for me, when you see it, when you see someone who's bad, you're like, oh, that person is bad at wrestling. Like, it's like
1: bad at the acting portion of it, because none of them can act.
0: It's like believability in moves that they're doing and receiving, too. Like, if they yeah. can't sell, it's also bad. But like, you, like, when you watch a really good wrestler, you'll be like, oh, I could see that being real. And then when you watch a really bad one, you're like, oh, that's a terrible punch. <laughs> what like, is this? Yeah, like, it's just, it's so weird. <laughs>
2: There's, there's a lot of opinion involved. I mean, there's different styles of wrestling. What That's some true. person might think constitutes a good wrestler is not what I might think, and so on and so forth. But John Gonzalez was objectively a terrible wrestler. He was he just was, a big boy. Yeah, I, I think they just kind of used him because he was tall. I don't think he actually spoke English. He only spoke Spanish. He suffered from a lot of health problems, so he could like barely walk. And... I I implore you to look up Giant Gonzalez right now to see the kind of unitard Andrew I guess Thomas. to see what to see his costume
1: Jesus <pause> Christ what the hell <laughs> So he like couldn't get jacked enough on on his own so they gave him a bodysuit with
2: <laughs> muscles <laughs>
1: drawn on it right and That's some
2: not- hair Steve, can you say the name again? Uh, Giant Gonzalez. Giant Gonzalez. It's not a good uh, combination. It not the point that they're all supposed to be jacked? Like, there's,
1: like, two job requirements to be a wrestler, and he couldn't even meet one of them.
0: <laughs> I like that they went with the fakest suit possible. Yeah, the suit is, like, a terrible look, too. <laughs> like, they could have, like, Benjamin Buttoned some prosthetics for him,
2: and they did not.
0: And I think that... <laughs> I respect that for some reason.
2: Uh. uh I,
1: have, I have no idea.
2: Suffice to say, though, if he was not wearing that, maybe he would have gotten over better. But, you know, that was kind of doomed from the start.
1: I just because I was curious and looked it up, the cu- tallest player currently in Major League Baseball is Glass now at 6'8. So, no, no, uh contenders to, to unseat Roush or uh, Luck Van Mill here
2: currently. Oh well. Eventually, I'm sure. There has to be. It just mm-hmm. Statistics. Alright, so <clears throat> on uh, Friday, January 1st, we dropped part one of our 2021 Top 25 Prospect list. And if you haven't already seen it, it's on Amazing Avenue, so go ahead and, you know, read it. And we'll go on to a little bit more detail about the players on the list, 25 to 21, in a couple of minutes. But before we start, I just want to, you know, just kind of like have, have a discussion, I guess, um, with you guys. On a scale of 1 to 10, how hard was it to make the list this year? I mean, it's kind of difficult every year. This is a lot of stuff that you need to take into account, but with everything else, 2020 was kind of weird.
1: Can I give two answers? Sure. I'm going to say both 10 and 1. Because on the one hand, finding any sort of order to this was near impossible because A, the system is a bunch of low miners, guys. We have no information about to begin with and b we have even less information than normal but then one the system's so bad that it almost doesn't matter after like (laughs) 10 that you could you could have just drawn names out of the hat and it probably would have been fine
2: yeah i was honestly i was thinking about changing things up a little bit this year and having basically a top 10 and they're just doing like kind of two tiers of 10 players a piece uh-huh. that weren't, you know, numbered, but just kind of rooted in like, you know, these are guys that are interesting, but real far back, whatever. And these guys are kind of maybe interesting and just missed out on the top 10. But Nani, I just, I figured it's kind of, mm-hmm. I like routine and that's just not how we do things. <laughs> but yeah, this year, a lot of stuff could, a lot of players are just really uh, interchangeable.
0: And I always think this is, like, ranking people in a list order is always hard because there's always nuance to it that's difficult to parse even if they're in the same tier. But doing it when you lose a year of development with all of these kids and with the Mets case, all these kids are young, young. It's not like, like, it was easy for us to say, oh, yes, we could put Ronnie Mauricio one. Like, yeah, he lost a year of development, but we know that he's still the best person in the system. But when you get down to it, and it's a bunch of, like, 18- and 19-year-old kids who we would have liked to see play to really get a, uh, to really get a view on what they're going to do next year, uh, how do you separate them? <laughs> like, it's hard enough anyway. How do you separate them when we haven't seen them in a year? It's really difficult.
2: Major spoiler. Ryan Mauricio is ranked number one. Yes, sure. Was I the only one who
1: didn't have him number one? Probably.
2: Uh, I I waffled a bunch of times. It really came down to me between Alvarez and Mauricio. And
1: I didn't have either of the number one. Well, that would be right, an interesting well,
2: discussion we when Tebow we get to one. it. Um, Tebow. Oh, no, <laughs> Tebow is zero.
1: Excuse you.
0: <laughs> Tebow is the list.
1: Yeah.
0: does his own
1: mind. thing entirely.
0: He, yeah. Tebow's one through 25. and our yeah, Tebow
1: doesn't perfect. even get a number. He's just
2: Tebow. <laughs> He's on section. I uh, think there it, it uh, there is no like symbol of God, Like he's just Alpha <laughs> and Omega, I guess, that's his number? He's,
0: he, he's the Jesus fish symbol. Yeah, that's it. At, at one, and then <laughs> there's one right under it.
1: The, the, we also should mention, and there's been plenty of much more experienced, qualified prospect writers over the years than us, who have written more extensively about this, but the whole list system itself, in and of itself, is flawed. And even more so, when you have this little information... Um, because you could slightly alter the criteria you're making your list based on, and the order is going to totally change. Like, do you care about imminent major league performance? Then maybe you have Harold Gonzalez, like, ninth. Do you care about long-term upside? Then Harold might miss your list entirely. Yeah, Stuff like that.
2: That's one of the reasons why I like that there's four of us. That we all kind of make a list that's then compiled and averaged out because that takes into account all of that kind of stuff. I know Lucas, you're much more of a stats person and you're also much more of an, of a, of an upside person than, you know, me on the other hand, where even still, uh, and I guess this is a vestige of, of doing it longer where the system actually had guys worth, you know, more <laughs> where I still see, you know, Short season stats, I still see rookie ball stats. I'm just kind of like, eh. You know, it doesn't really matter much to me. Mm-hmm. So,
1: Do you remember when the Met system had real prospects?
2: Peppered yeah. Farm
1: remembers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much.
2: I remember. Oh, I remember. Good times. I can barely remember at this point. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't remember it five minutes ago.
2: I remember when it was a hot topic of debate whether or not Wilmer Flores or Cesar Puello was the better prospect. Good oh, times. God. <laughs> Good was times. Was the answer neither? Uh, I think that I think that Wilmer came up on top in our – I want to say this is probably 2014 or 2013, maybe. I know that I flip-flopped him, and I had Puello higher because he was an outfielder, and Wilmer was kind of whatever he was at the time. I guess a quote-unquote shortstop, but – But like a solid player. Wilmer
1: Flores made a World Series quality shortstop. (laughs) Offensively. Wilmer Flores has seven career war, which is actually more than I thought he would have when I pulled up this sheet.
2: That's that's like one and a half a year, basically?
1: Yeah, Yeah.
2: Not bad. But, yeah, it was getting back to it, though. It was a lot more difficult than just saying, like, oh, okay, Andres Jimenez and David Peterson graduated. Let's just slide everybody up a notch and replace, you know, 24 and 25. Um, a lot more went into it than that. Hmm. All right, so uh, we will start out now by discussing the guy that came in at 25, and that's right-handed reliever Riley Gilliam. And this is the second time that he's been on our uh top prospect list. Last year he was ranked nineteen. This year he's ranked twenty five. Uh Mets drafted him at a Clemson in the fifth round of the twenty eighteen draft. He was one of his. he was the closer there and basically one of the best closers in college baseball at the time. Um he's been solid as a Met. Uh, the biggest thing about him, though, is he's pretty short for a baseball player. He's 5'10". so um,
1: you Really know. not fitting in. He, we should have talked about him last week.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he's 5'10", so kind of on the small side. More, more, I guess, damning. I don't want to say damning. It's not the right word. But more concerning than that, though, is the fact that his delivery is just really high energy and because it's so high tempo he has command problems you know if he was a starting pitcher at 510 i would say hmm, maybe there might be some durability concerns but you know he's only pitching an inning per outing so realistically if he's throwing more than 25 30 pitches something's already you know <laughs> gone pretty wrong so um one thing though because of his height though is that the fastball doesn't have much plane like we were talking about before with Locke Van Mill. Um, it sits in the low to mid-90s, about 91 and 94, so with some arm side life, not bad. But that lack of plane kind of makes it kind of kind of hittable, which is unfortunate because he complements it with one hell of a curveball. I'm sure we've talked about this many, many times before, but it is just a, a beauty of a pitch. It's a high 70s, 12-6 curve. Uh, gets lots of swings and misses. You know, he'll he'll throw it a lot, um very effective. But overall just kind of he's a, a one two, uh two pitch guy, you know, fastball curve, short guy, command issues. But definitely he's a guy that if we had a regular season last year he would have seen major league time in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to assume that, you know, next season he he makes the uh, MLB for however amount of time.
0: I agree. I don't know if he's going to be a good pitcher in the majors, but I think he will have major league appearances in his career. Like, I think like he's, his stuff is going to be good enough. Like, he was bad. The I'm pulling up his stats right now. But I remember off the top of my head he was not good. At the higher levels. But, um, he had
1: nine innings in AAA. Yeah. The strikeouts were still there, but he also walked a dude every inning, so yeah. not great.
0: And that's nine innings, but yeah, you don't want that. But, like, he's going to be one of those dudes who, at the very least, is going to be a shuttle type guy who gets called up and then gets waived after, like, a <coughs> week. And that's, that's fine at 25 in your system. Like, you probably want that to be off your top 25, but... Like right now, this is what we're at. So <laughs>
1: useful to have, not yep. particularly exciting. I wonder. See, I remember, I'm forgetting where I read this article this offseason about um, fastball plane and how shorter pitchers are better off throwing like rising fastballs because they look like they rise more because they're coming from quote unquote rising. Yeah, right? Well, nothing. Right, nothing actually rises. So I don't. I don't know the details on like his spin efficiency or his spin rate whether he gets good backspin whether his fastball has uh uh rise to it um but that I wonder if that's an adjustment that the Mets can look to make or if it's something he could incorporate on his own um and it would go well with the slider too like high fastball low sl- low uh, not slider curveball uh high fastball low curveball works pretty well so there's there's so like, stuff to play with here <laughs>
2: That's basically what Chris Flexen did in Korea to reinvent himself is mm-hmm. high fast low curve mm-hmm. pretty good combo yeah yeah,
1: I mean I love a good curveball so i'd love to, I'd like to see Gilliam stick look if we had to sit through um Paul Seawald.
2: <laughs> if yes.
1: we had to sit through, come on, come on, come on, come on, 147 innings of Paul Seawald over the last four years, Ooh, I would like to what? get a similar number of innings from Gilliam. How many? How many
2: 147
0: How
1: many? in the third.
2: Oh, oh, boy. I did not know it was that many. <laughs> yeah, it didn't seem that many. Yeah. That's what uh, cool. Hey, we like seemed so
1: over. freaking weird. He struck out more than ten per nine and didn't walk anybody. It was like not bad, but still felt bad. Anyway, give me more Riley Gilliam. I'm I'm intrigued.
2: <laughs> so my thing on Gilliam is um, he's either going to have to really spot. It's debatable whether he has enough fastball, um, you know, to to be have a meaningful career. Uh, and it's also debatable if he's going to command the curveball well enough to to get big league hitters out. But you know, there's a good chance he, he just comes up and is a shuttle guy for a while, and that's pretty great.
1: Was was he at the alternative site last year or no? Probably. Mm, I would the, assume fact, so. the fact that he didn't come up is, like, mildly concerning to me, right? You would think if he was actually showing decently in a season where they needed so many freaking arms, they would have given him a shot, but I don't want to read too much into, into that.
2: Into anything the, the Will yeah. Mets.
1: In yeah. the, the, the 2020, 2020 Wilpon
0: <laughs> Mets, yes. I mean that's big senioritis. Wilpon Mets too, like, <laughs> like, like they were totally checked out. I, f- I feel so. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he, if, even if he was balling, that they were just like, i oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we don't
2: care.
1: Yeah, we gotta submit some paperwork. That's uh, just too much work.
2: I mean, just throw Jacob Rehm out there again. <laughs> At least he wasn't traded for like. Todd Frazier so we have that right right all right next up coming in at number 24 is right-handed pitcher Giordani Ventura and this is the first time that he's been ranked and the Mets acquired him during the uh, 2018 or 2019 international signing period they didn't sign him on the first day July 2nd but basically a couple weeks later for just twenty thousand dollars he was, um, you know, got a brief cup of coffee in the DSL that year, and um, started the 2019 season in the DSL. But he got promoted to the GSL pretty quickly, excuse me, the GCL pretty quickly. And he spent most of the summer with the GCL Mets, and then at the end of August, he was promoted to the Kingsport Mets in order to bolster their rotation. And he was solid in that uh, cup of coffee. So Ventura, he is lanky kid, 6 foot tall, 160 pounds, and, you know, he's still pretty young, so he's probably still going to be growing. Also, worth noting is that this data is, you know, a little old because we don't know what, you know, he's been up to in the past year. So he could have put on 5 inches and 40 pounds for all we know, which would obviously change things very, very much. But fastball sits in the low 90s. Um, and then he complements it with a curveball and developing changeup. And it's basically the stereotypical young starter starting kit.
1: I mean, the age, uh, the impressive number of strikeouts given his age in those leagues. And this is the kind of guy where we really get screwed by 2020 because who the hell knows what happened in the last 15 months. Oh.
2: Yeah, so. Interesting dude to be aware of.
0: Yeah, he's he, he's big time, circle the name just in case type type guy. I
2: don't
1: think. He's not like a super projectable dude either, so I wouldn't get excited about him like rowing three inches and adding five miles an hour to the fastball or something like that. But again, that's another thing that could just happen randomly sometimes, so. Mm hmm. This is this is like Gilliam. This isn't a name you want in your top twenty-five. Not that Ventura is a bad piece to have around, but he'd hopefully get pushed off the list. It's not a good farm.
0: I would say yet he's not a good guy to have here yet, right? Right. Because at at this point, yeah, because he he should be a dude that is in people's names to remember for twenty twenty-one type list. There should be like multiple of this guy. Yeah. yeah, and then when one of them pops, that's when they make the list, and you're yeah, like, oh, a remember?
1: couple. I'm, I'm like, I'd say the the bottom of their farm is pretty good in terms of the international guys. It's just that, yeah. yeah, that's it.
0: Yeah, and that's also hard to discuss anyway, and yeah. it's even harder to discuss now when we're going to go through these names. We're going to be like, yeah, he was good two years ago. For yeah, basically, like
2: this whole this whole episode is basically just giant shrug emoji. Like, yeah. Uh, Like, we don't know yet. Would have been nice to have a minor league season. Indeed. Yep.
1: So, I just looked up the, just for shits and giggles to see if there's any, like, news from him out of Instructs or something. Uh, whether, whether there is a latest tweets about Jordani Ventura. Here's the latest tweet about Jordani Ventura. A proposed trade for Nolan Arenado with JD Davis, Robinson Cano, Mark Vientos, Thomas Zapucci, and Jordany Ventura for Nolan Arenado.
2: Who, can I ask who, do I want to know who did those trades?
1: Unbiased, unbiased picks? Some random account with not uh, that many followers.
2: Yeah. More, more, I'm more interested in knowing how they even know who Jordany uh, Ventura is. Uh, he was I 18th
1: on Fancraft's list, I think. I don't know.
2: I don't know. Well. Oh, here's
1: someone proposing a trade for Josh Hader too. Dom Smith, Mark Fientos, and Jordany Ventura for Josh, Josh Hader.
2: Okay, yeah, sure. The that. biggest
0: trade chip.
1: I, I don't <laughs> think I'd do that.
2: Anyway. Anyway, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hader is the kind of dumbass guy. That's right.
1: I, I wouldn't trade Dom for a believer at this point, but.
2: And of all the people to be trading for Hader, Dom Smith, like that's come on now. The irony. We love it, folks. No, we don't. Mm -hmm. Coming in next at 23 on our 2021 Top 25 prospect list is catcher Andy Rodriguez. And this is the first time that he was uh, ranked by us. Mets acquired him on the first day of the 2018-2019 international signing period. And he didn't really get a lot of money. He only got $10,000, which... As we've discussed in the past, there is not a direct correlation between success and signing bonus when it comes to international free agent kids. But usually the ones that are more hyped and seem to be better at the time obviously get more money. But he was assigned to the DSL. Um, he had a solid season there. In 2018, Uh, he started the 2019 season again with the DSL team, but he got promoted to the GZL and he spent the rest of the 2019 season there on the complex. Uh, He lost basically a a month of the season due to a hamstring strain, but he had a pretty solid season all around. Um, He hit 294, 411, 510, which, uh, you know, definitely what you want to see from a 19-year-old catcher. And uh it's it's a pretty interesting profile, offensively and defensively. He's a switch hitter, so we like yes, switch please. hitting. Yeah. Yep. Switch hitting um, catcher on the mm-hmm. list. Definitely what we want to see. He has a pretty good knack for making contact. He can hit the ball to all fields. Uh, he drives a little bit better from the left side than the right side. But young hitters have platoon splits that reverse themselves a lot as they kind of learn and get better and, and, and tinker with the swings and everything like that. So that's not set in stone. And, you know, most actual scouts agree that he's probably going to be a low-power player, but he should grow into some usable in-game power, which is good. And behind the dish, um, he's been praised for his defense. He's pretty mobile, and he's good at, at receiving the ball and throwing it. And interestingly enough, he's also logged a lot of time at first base, which I guess is a catcher. It's like, okay, you're kind of hedging your bets. And in the outfield, which is something that you don't see too often Ooh. with catchers, because mm-hmm. catchers usually slow, fat kids. <laughs> but uh, he is I'm not. I would imagine a good amount of that is just trying to get his bat into the lineup. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if he can't play catcher, which would be a pretty big hit to his value, because a lot of that value is tied to the fact that he is a catcher. If he shows enough range to play a corner outfield position, that's, you know, basically that's going to give him a second life. Hey, because... sign,
1: sign me up for the Austin-Barnsey uh, uh, utility <laughs> piece on the bench, you
2: know?
0: <laughs> yeah, I have, like, this weird thing that I would love my backup catcher to also play, like, three positions for no you see, reason. You just, like, how uh, is yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's, it's just, to me, it's just so, like, it's a way to really spread your bench out. But, like, you must really love perhaps...
1: Isaiah Connor Falifa.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I literally traded for him in a fantasy league last year. So, <laughs> yeah. But he's not good. Anyway. I know.
2: What but, are your feelings on Kyle Schwaber? Um, noted, noted he H. So.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but,
0: like, I don't know. I think it's so. I think it's cool when catchers could play other positions like that and really spread their wings a little bit. And if he could hit just a little, then that'll be a fun guy to look at. Even so, he's probably just playing other positions, so he doesn't have to catch every game and also hits every game. And I don't know if you care that much about your left field defense at that level of the minors when you're trying to get people to hit. So
2: <laughs> rookie level left field defense, very yeah, amazing. like DSL what, level like, um, left field defense. <laughs>
0: Like, I don't know how much you actually care about the ball that drops in the gap, because if the pitcher made, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's still a ball that got hit hard, and it's still, like, you just want the guy to hit. So that's probably what's going on there. Mm -hmm. But I'm a dream anyway.
2: Yeah, I mean, with these guys, it's all we can do is just dream on them. And it's a lot more fun. Anyway. If if he stays a catcher, he could be really nice. (laughs) If he
1: isn't a catcher, which... I mean I almost want to say it's likely because that's true of like every Catchers low miners. Right. It's true of almost every low miners catcher that they're probably not actually a catcher. Uh, then it's less interesting. But Interesting IFA pick number two on the list.
2: <laughs> well, if you like interesting IFA picks, have I got something for you? Yeah, uh, here we go. Have <laughs> I got a system for you? Uh. <laughs> yeah. Coming in at number twenty two on our list is outfielder Stanley Consuegro. And this is the third time that Consuegra has been ranked by us. The first time was in 2019, when he was ranked 19. And then last season, he was ranked 22. And again, here he is at 22. He was acquired by the Mets on the first day of the 2017, to 2018 IFA period. And he was signed for $500,000. He was considered one of the better athletes who were available um, in that class, he uh, started the season in the DSL Mets, but given his, I don't want to say pedigree because that's not really the right word, but because of his, how, how highly thought of he was and his numbers, he was promoted to the GCL Mets pretty quickly. And he didn't exactly dominate in his stateside debut, but he, he held his own as a 17-year-old in the GCL, so not bad. And then he entered the 2019 season with a knee injury, and he had to have surgery on it, so his season ended even before it started. And then, of course, there was no season last year, so he has not been on the field for two years now, which is um, something. It's something. Yep. Um, he is well built at the time, anyway. Again, who knows how things have changed, but. You know, going back to our reports from a year, two years ago, he was a uh, six-foot-two-inch kid, 170 pounds, so he was pretty projectable. The swing was kind of long, but he he had pretty good barrel control, so he was able to make uh, good contact in spite of it. And, you know, he was kind of a line drive hitter, but he was projected to add some muscle and projected to add some in-game power. And defensively, he was, um, an outfielder who prior to that was a shortstop, you know, and basically everyone is a shortstop or, or a center fielder. So, but, um, you know, he should hopefully have the tools to stay in center. Um, he's a strong arm. Basically, evaluators say it's above average to plus. So that's good for an outfielder, obviously. And then he has um, average speed and quick reaction times, so he can cover a decent amount of ground once he starts going. Um, given the arm, though, if he's not able to play center field, he definitely would be uh, a fit in right field. So, again, not not too much else to say, especially in Konsuega's case since he's, you know, injuries and everything. This is the kind of guy that you would hope you have enough depth where he's not in your top 25. Yeah, the guy who was intriguing for a time and is now currently, you know, two years having not seen the field.
1: Yeah, I think there's a longer discussion we can have, and maybe it waits till we're further up the list, and we've gone through all of them. But the Mets have quite a few of these outfielders in this kind of...
2: Yeah, Adrian Hernandez is in the same boat.
1: Freddie Valdez, Alexander Ramirez... Uh if you wanna throw the stateside guys in there like Isaiah Green and even Blaine McIntosh and like I don't know how you pick them apart really at this point. Um aside from just kind of uh, I don't even know. Just guessing.
2: That's <laughs> pretty much kind of all there is to it. Yeah. And if you wanna my if you wanna analyze things with an extremely fine toothed column, you can differentiate these guys you could even you know you could tear them but at the end of the day even those slight minute separations when you zoom back out is just so minor that it doesn't really make much of a difference for me personally i think that the biggest thing that differentiates these guys is and i don't i don't mean to sound not racist i don't know what the word would be but You know, just that these guys are from the Dominican Republic, whereas a guy like McIntosh or Isaiah Green, especially Pico Armstrong, he's kind of in a separate boat because of his very advanced pedigree and everything. But they have more formal baseball education. They've played in more formal leagues, on more formal teams, things like that. Whereas, you know, the Dominican players, it's kind of more just practice constantly 24-7. And I think that... Yeah, you know, just that the the organized experience weighs more heavily to me.
1: We also just have a ton of more information on them, right? Like we that have too, access yeah. to a lot more scouting information about Macintosh Green or especially Pico Armstrong than than any of the DSL guys. I think P, PCA also definitely is in his in his own group way above most of these guys, but I don't know how you differentiate the rest of them, honestly.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, on the macro level, it is very, yeah, they're all just in the same boat, basically. Big lump. Right.
1: The the answer is like you call your friend who is at Mets Instructs and ask what he thinks, but <laughs> I don't, I don't, I lost his number. So,
2: <laughs> man, I hope that there's a spring training in the season next year.
1: Fingers crossed.
2: Yeah. Oh God. All right. Well. Coming in now at 21, the last player that we're going to discuss today is outfielder Adrian Hernandez. And this is also the third time that we've ranked him. First time was in 2019 when he came in at 18. And then 2020 when he came in at 20. And now it's 2021 and here he is at 21. So, um, Like Consuegra, he was acquired on the first day of the 2017 to 2018 international uh, free agent signing period. He was given a pretty big bonus, $1.5 million. Um, he played in the DSL his that, that summer, and then he was sent uh, stateside in 2019. But similar to Consuegra, he um, had an injury and he missed most of the season. He got into four games as opposed to Consuegra, who did not get into any games. Um, when we last checked, Hernandez was Kirby Puckettish. He's five foot nine, two hundred ten pounds. So he's a dude that uh, <laughs> if there's a fight, you definitely want him on your side. He's gonna mess guys up. The bat speed was explosive. It was, you know, one of the best um, in the in the 2017 to 2018 uh, international rookie class. He's a strong guy, like I was saying, so it's plus power. Um, the hit tool though is raw. It was basically just a very Guerreroian uppercut, you know, that just kind of, um, is vulnerable to a lot. Um, you know, didn't really have a good awareness of the zone, didn't really have a good eye for spin, that kind of stuff. So, you basically what you want to see from him is just that that stuff develops that he starts figuring out okay this is what the strike zone is okay this pitch it's going to be uh, a curveball oh it's not going to be in the zone okay lay off because the rest of the, the power is good and then the outfield the defensive raw tools are good he's got above average speed um, you know he's slow to start cuz he is kind of big guy but once he gets going he's going um, the arm is okay. It's you know good enough for center field, um, but not really good enough for right. So you just kind of hope that he's gonna be able to stay in center because the value will be maximized there. Whereas in left, it's kind of just like a. Uh, as to whether or not he will be able to stay in center, though, don't really know. You know, he was a kind of bigish kid to begin with, and. Two years have passed, and whether or not he's put on, you know, good weight or bad weight on top of those 210 pounds will make a lot of difference. <laughs> Hopefully he didn't have a quarantine weight or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, definitely he, a, a fun guy to dream on.
1: Yeah, he's like, he might be, I don't... I can't even tell you what order I had them in on my list because it just didn't really matter to me, but he might be my favorite one just in terms of the final and potential end product. Like, little dynamo of a dude running around in center field with good power and speed. It's just super fun.
0: Yeah, agreed, agreed. I also think he's he's clearly the best player that we've talked about so far. Mm-hmm. Well, that um, is
2: why he's ranked twenty one. No, no, no. Like, <laughs> Like,
0: I don't even think it's close. Like, yeah. because... There's already tools that we've seen that are exciting, and at least for me, I'd rather a player have the elite bat speed and you teach him the plate discipline than the other way around. Because I feel like it's a lot easier to develop someone's plate discipline. Yep, you, definitely. You, did, you could. That's something that you could really mold into someone, and you people even mold it in the higher levels. I mean, sometimes it doesn't happen, and you end up Ahmed Rosaroing your way through the league where you just swing at everything. But <clears throat> sometimes guys. Sometimes guys thrive even though they don't have it, even though that's rare, and sometimes you could teach it to those, to to guys. So I'd rather him show the elite match speed already and the plus power and stuff like that. Like, that's fun. And that's stuff that like, this is the first guy that I could see really skyrocketing with a full season, like a minor league season. I could see him just going off and hitting a bunch, and then we're talking about him
2: way higher next year. Yeah, definitely a good point about the, He's the first guy with a bona fide loud tool. I mean, yeah. Gilliam. Gilliam has a plus curveball. Well, I mean. But the rest of the package is, is you know, eh. and he's he's on the, and especially compared to these other players, he's on the older side. Um, Giordani Ventura. It's just kind of all, you know, a solid base, but it's all projection. Andy Rodriguez. You know, same thing. It's just okay. He's a he's a catcher that could move. So it's interesting, but there's not much substance to it and Consuegra you know very similar to Hernandez except that you know the bat is not as as uh loud and he hasn't Hernandez. played in like two years right and <laughs> like, yes and like, he has not played for two seasons that's really hard to
0: to to parse but yeah i feel like this is the first guy that we really have like a set tool like a set base of skills that we could see grow and see turn into a real prospect soon
2: and and like you said power is not something that can necessarily be taught so if he's yeah. showing it then he has it and you just work around that
0: you start building up his, the rest of his game and that's I
2: I'd, I'd rather build from
0: there
1: my counterpoint would be just like the the body based concerns Knock him down in terms. Of, like I think the downside risk is. Then again, the downside risk for all of these guys is not a major league player. So
2: <laughs> right. I mean, the odds that we'll be honest. I mean, Gilliam probably has the the best chance at maybe seventy percent chance that he sees major league action in some capacity. And that's just a random number I'm pulling out of my ass. But just based he on where he is. And, yeah, but but that's just based on you know he's he's a high level reliever. And those guys are very fungible and can just get swapped in and out and, at any point. But the rest of these guys are barely in the system. You know, they barely have their feet in the door. So a lot can go wrong in in the five years, give or take, that, you know, it, it, they need to develop. Yep.
1: That said, I I find your argument convincing. And I'm looking back at my list now. I definitely didn't put too much thought into how I sorted the outfielders. but. Uh, I think you're – and I have Hernandez, like, towards the bottom of my outfielders, but I think your argument is is reasonable for why he should be higher.
2: That's something we'll, I guess – (laughs) we'll go on on our on our last podcast (laughs) do we have any regrets (laughs) i'm sure we all have a lot the
1: the second night i like every time i am working on my list if i just look away for two seconds and look back i have regrets so (laughs) it's it's impossible
2: yeah at a certain point you just got to take it away from yourself Uh uh uh-huh
1: uh-huh Move
2: i mean i guess 2020 gives us kind of a an out with all of that, that we could say, well, it's just a weird year anyway. Are so you saying okay. we get a mulligan, Steve? Yeah, we could sleep at night and and not have to worry. Also, no conversely,
0: one. when one of our 23rd prospects pops were like, see, I told yeah, you. I that. knew it. Yeah. When no one knew that, so. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and then on the other hand, when, you know, uh, 14th ranked, 16th ranked, whatever, Jacob deGrom becomes Jacob deGrom, then everyone's like, you guys suck. Yeah, so, true. It happens. I mean, we do suck. I was about to say, we do suck anyway, so that, that works out well. Harsh well, but fair. Harsh but fair. Speaking of suck, let's end things now with the Wilponnery of the week. Oh. <laughs> uh, I think that the Wilponery of the week definitely goes to this dude named Steven Brandenburg who is a pharmacist in Wisconsin. Have you guys heard this new oh, story?
1: I was going to make a joke about whether he wrote some mediocre classical concertos, but uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, this story was horrible.
2: Yeah. Basically he was arrested early in the week for intentionally spoiling oh, uh, that's over 500, yeah, 500 doses of the coronavirus vaccine. He just basically took them out of the fridge on purpose and left them out overnight so that they would become... Uh, deactivated or whatever the whatever the terminology would be inert. Who
1: who the hell becomes a, a who the hell what the hell kind of anti vaxxer becomes a pharmacist?
0: Yeah, right? <laughs> the longest con possible. And the most no. expensive con possible.
2: No kidding. Probably it's we, a positive ROI though. Yeah. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah true. Well, we don't have any motives yet. The police wouldn't even like release his name. It's took basically, you know, like um what the hell is it called? Reddit found it, you know, they, they cross-matched the arrest records and, you know, people that have pharmacist's license in, in Wisconsin or whatever the whatever the city was in Wisconsin, but...
1: Never never underestimate the ability of bored nerds on the internet to find out information.
2: It is the truth. But apparently this dude is uh, going through a divorce before all this happened. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, if, if not, this would definitely be a good reason to get divorced from him, but... He was going through a divorce and he already successfully petitioned the court once to deny his wife to have uh, visitation rights to their kids because of COVID-19. So it doesn't seem like a huge leap that he thought he could indefinitely like keep the kids from her by just thinking that he could give inert vaccines to everybody and, and keep the pandemic going. Like that's fucking dumbass psychopathic shit. If that's like the case,
1: yeah.
2: And um, there's there's no other info out there that he's like, you know, a big on the anti-vaxer uh, web or or anything like that. Maybe it will come out. Who knows? But
1: you know, I almost wanted to say this was too harsh to call Will Ponery. but then I remembered the whole like Castor Gene situation. I'm like, okay, no, Jeff Jeff would do something stupid like this if he had the opportunity. Yeah, no. To.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is terrible news. Yeah, you know, it, it is terrible news because obviously people are, you know, dying at thousands at a time and have been. So, like, it's not something to, to to joke about or or whatever, take lightly. But yeah, like his, if that is his actual motive, to either a because he's an anti-vaxxer, which is dumb in and of itself, because that's it's just, just a level of narcissism that's right wild. Yeah, and that that would be a level of narcissism that Jeff Wilpon would have, thinking that yes. he could he could single handedly affect everything by you know his dumbass actions,
1: his genius actions because it's his oh, internal monologue, right? His big, right. Brain. His big brain, big brain, galaxy brain actions from Jeff <laughs> Wilpon.
2: Oh, Freaking Jeff Wilpon.
1: Everyone get your vaccinations. I got mine a couple like last week because I, oh nice yeah. I mean, I'm at the hospital constantly. So. No, yeah, yeah, that
0: makes sense.
2: All right, well, if anybody has any questions, comments, or whatever, you could send us an email at our email address from ComplexQueens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Seiper. Lucas is at El Vlahos 343 Ken is at Ken1191. <clears throat> and Thomas is at SadMetSeasonSZN. Subscribe to the podcast or if you got your podcast from. Rate and review it, and of course, thank you for listening. And we will be back next week to further dissect the 2021 Mets top prospect list. And until then, love the Mets, love the Mets.